Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched The Commitments. In The Commitments, Jimmy Rabbit, played by Robert Arkins, decides to manage a band led by his two friends. He's hoping to take Dublin by storm and then the world. He puts together a ten-person ensemble to cover the great soul songs of the past. They have talent and conflicting personalities, but what they need most are gigs. Screenplay by Dick Clement, Ian Lafrenet, and Roddy Doyle, directed by Alan Parker, and premiered in Los Angeles on August 7th, 1991. Have you seen The Commitments before? Yes, I have. I have not. I, I knew of it. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's one that, you know, you walk past on the video store shelves a lot. Or I did, working at the video store. <laughs> so I was well aware of the movie. But it never... I don't know. I, I guess I kind of assumed it was like a... Like a biopic type oh, of a movie. Okay. And I just didn't really care to watch that. Okay. So, I don't know. Um, now I have. <laughs> I, I think I watched it because it was on cable a lot. And it reminded me <laughs> of, like, I don't know, it was probably, like, around the time where, like, Four Weddings in, the, in a Funeral was on a lot, you know? Okay. It was like this movie and then Four Weddings and a Funeral. But I was, you know, obsessed with Four Weddings and a Funeral. But were you obsessed with this movie? No, I mean, I, I remember <laughs> liking it. It's just like... Whatever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the vibe I got by the end It's not well. something I would watch, like, um, repeatedly. Yeah. Like certain other movies. It's, it's one of those movies where, honestly, I think the biggest thing that hurts this movie, right? Like, they, yeah. they're only doing, like, the, not really oldies, like, 60s, 70s songs, which I, I don't know, whatever. You can classify it however you want. Um, but, I mean... Established hits. And other movies that I would want to watch over and over again, like, let's say, Sing Street... Yeah. Which this made me, like, really want to watch again, like, immediately. Um, once, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Yeah, because, very, very because soon. the same guy is in it. Yeah. Uh, or even, like, That Thing You Do. You know, those had original songs. And that lends a lot of the appeal to it. Like, you know, this, this movie is at its heart about, like, hope and opportunity and, and dreams and, you know, having, like, fun with your friends as you as you try to, like shoot for the stars and make something of yourselves in, in a shitty world. But that's really, really hard to do for a strict cover band. I think they eventually wanted 
to do their own music, but they want to introduce soul to soul music to Ireland and they want to bring in, you know, the greats. So it's like, hey, yeah. Have you ever heard of this song by so-and-so? Well, we're going to sing it for you. Right, yeah. Prove that Dublin has soul. Um, And I understand that aspect of it as well. Like, you know, the Dublin soul as they're talking about it because Mm -hmm. it's all about struggle and sex is what they say, right? And so you have all these people who are in very run-down, you know, slum-like parts of Dublin... If we're being, you know, which I, I think is what they're I'm trying to, to show. I'm assuming this is, like, in the 80s? Like, what time? I'm early I, 90s? I, yeah, it's tough to say because, I mean... Like, what you time You see some period? of the punk rockers. So I'm thinking this is You see the Killing Joke graffiti. That probably helps date it a little bit, too. Um, but I think it's, like, relatively contemporary. But you also have, like, that person who's, like, in the Boy George makeup... This is in the 80s. Okay, so it's specifically supposed to take place in the 80s. I must, I mean, because this is based off of a novel, and the novel was written in 1987. Okay. So, I think that's where I was having, like, oh, not a hard time, but I was like, is this set in 1991, 1990? So it's probably in between the years of 87 and 90. Yeah, it's, so, it's not too far removed from the current day of that time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's... But these people are still... It's kind of like when you introduce... I don't know, some people joke about, like, I guess Canada or something. Like, there's some jokes where it's like the 90s didn't come to Canada or like the 80s didn't come to Canada until like 1992 or stuff like that. Sure. So that's what I'm trying to Yeah, I don't know if that's... Yeah, I mean, this is obviously something where it's a couple decades removed uh, from, you know, the songs are a couple decades removed. Yeah, so they're they're introducing... They're specifically looking at like James Brown and Otis Redding and and, and these types of people. It's so, like the only 60s music that they know of are like Brit pop bands, like, you know, the Beatles, obviously. And, or, it, like, his father was obsessed with Elvis. It was like that Beatles or Elvis. There was like no in between. And then yeah, he so was like, let me to... introduce you to these other great singers. Yeah, Jimmy has this pulse on the music scene, whereas most of his friends and everyone may not. So he's he's the one who's sort of taken it upon himself to introduce everybody to these different um, styles and groups and everything, and, and his obsession is soul. And so when, you know, these two people who are working on a, in, in a wedding band come up to him and say, hey, we want you to manage our new band. We don't have a name for it. We don't know what we're doing. We don't have other band members. It's just us two you know help us out and jimmy's like okay what you're gonna do is you're gonna do dublin soul because dublin's all about this struggle you know like all these people who are in this you know broken down neighborhood then you know you can see like the unemployment lines at one point in the movie as well they're just like weaving in and out of the building and you know all this stuff so there's like a lot of hardship and so you know we can relate to the struggle that's sung about in these songs 
but yeah, like they're they're directionless until Jimmy comes about because he's he's the one who knows everything. Yeah, that was I don't know. <laughs> that was an interesting introduction to the movie as well because you have the the two people in in the wedding, uh, Outspan and Derek, who are the uh, the guitar and bass players. Mm-hmm. And then you have this other guy Ray, who's a singer at the the keyboards and he's gyrating right. and whatever and uh they want to get rid of ray as soon as possible he's definitely meant to be like a very stereotypical goofball wedding singer type of a, a guy and he plays right. that role really well um what i thought was interesting as well is that like outspan and derek they're in the movie right they, like they're around but they don't really have major roles it's mostly like jimmy and the girls and joey the lips who comes in later well and then also deco deco yeah yeah but like it's 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 kind of weird that like these two people who are instrumental no pun intended in getting the band set up are kind of pushed to the side story-wise yeah all the instrumental people the, the people that wanted to start this or in the background. Yeah. I, 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 like, I don't know what type of friendship they have with Jimmy. You know, should they have been more involved? Should Because they, they well, didn't even get to pick their own name. It seems as if they all went you know? to the same school. Yeah. Like, high school. But, like, were they... I guess they were just, like, acquaintances. Because, I mean, they weren't part of, like, any of the decision-making process, like, at all. They're just along for the ride in Jimmy's vision. Well, because they, they just want to be, they're just happy playing music and they want to be in a band. That's what it seems like. And they're like. asking their friend who has knowledge in this to do everything. Yeah, it's just weird that they For... are, you know, those three are the instigators of this entire movie. Mm-hmm. But only one really gets significant screen time or plot progression or anything. That, guess, that's the part that's kind of weird. Yeah, it's just like, diff- yeah, dealing with different personalities once they all came together. Yeah, and they have a really good scene about, like, doing the introductions to, well, not really introductions, uh, the audition process. Of like, mm-hmm. okay, now we want a band, and then they have, like, this, you know, sequence of people coming to Jimmy's house to audition. Um, you know, people are, like, crammed on the stairs because everybody wants a piece of this yeah and then some people are just lining up just because they're like oh i saw a line yeah (laughs) yeah the one guy's like oh i thought i thought you were selling drugs the line was so long Mm -hmm. um and you know there's a montage of people like getting the door slammed on their face because like who are your musical influences he's looking for soul based stuff and when they say you know anything yeah a lot of people are just saying a lot of 80s bands yeah, just random, um, or just hokey people, or whatever it is. Uh, so, yeah, Barry Manilow, shut the door. Yeah. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but what, what's really weird is, like, you come out of that sort of long audition sequence, and then all of a sudden there's a couple people who are in the band where I don't think we were introduced to them before. <laughs> like, they're just there. Like, now you have... Like, the drummer The sax and, guy and yeah, the drummer the and the piano guy. They're just there now. I think because Jimmy... Well, Jimmy is friends with the drummer guy and... 
the uh, keyboardist because it seems like they also may have been the school together. I don't know. Like, if yeah, this but is... like, we don't get the introduction, and that's the part that's bothering. Yeah, I mean, like, why this is. This, I like, wonder. I don't think anybody from the audition process ended up making it into the band. I mean, maybe the which sax is guy fine, did. Fine, I guess, because like, he's probably like, I play sax, and they're like, okay, we need a horn player. Maybe, uh, yeah, like maybe the sax guy did, but and it's, I think it's not it. shown clearly. Because even when they got Deco, Deco was at that wedding. Yeah, he came up on stage drunk, just singing, singing during a break, and um, you know. And they were like, "He's a good singer." Yeah. And then, once again, just to get the background singers, it was from a friend because yeah. he he knew it was like, why did he? Yeah, why did he even have this addition if he was already knew the people that were going to be in the band anyways? I mean, he. I don't know. Because like, all the people that were pretty much in the band were, like, people he knew throughout his life. It, it was definitely a good comedic opportunity. It, it was a lighthearted Except sequence for, with some decent jokes in there. Yeah, the sax guy and maybe Joey Lips. Like, I literally don't know. No, Joey Lips just came later. He's like, oh, I heard about this ad, and he just, like, drove on his motorcycle. Yeah, you know? so, he, so he answered the ad. That's but, what, like, like, a he, week later... Yeah. yeah, but he was, he probably, he talks like such a big game where he's like, yeah, I know all these people. Like he even knew Elvis and I don't know. I don't know if these people, some people believe him, but I don't really, did Jimmy really believe his stories? I think it's meant to be ambiguous. Like Joey Lips Fagan is much older than the rest of them, probably at least twice their age. He's claims to have traveled the world and played with a bunch of the greats, you know, like Elvis and, um, you know, like, I can't even, even think of all He even says he even knew Wilson Pickett. Like, yeah, he Wilson just knew. Pickett, who comes into play in the story later on as well. Uh, he's, so, like, it's, it's really, considering who he is and his style and where he lives and all this little quirks, it's really hard to know for sure if it's true um, he could be lying about his own name. From yeah. You know, because at one point they're at his house and they see on the back, oh yeah, it says Jay Fagan on the back of this, but like, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that guy's name is actually Joey Fagan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, but I think it's meant to be ambiguous. One, because of the whole Wilson Pickett thing that happens near the end. And then two, um, when he's doing like the little epilogue thing. He's talking about how his mother got a postcard from him on the road because that's how what used to happen. Yeah. Um, and the postcard said he was playing with somebody who had died like 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Just, like, <laughs> like maybe maybe he did and maybe he didn't. Maybe he just the whole Wilson Pickett like, thing happened because exaggerated he stories about charming. his life on, yeah, his life. Uh, playing the trumpet yeah on the road or whatever yeah but anyway uh, long story short we have a big band um the auditions were interesting but didn't seem to actually result in anything meaningful which is weird and so it took me i don't know like a third of the movie to even learn the names of the drummer which is billy the first drummer uh, mm-hmm. The sax guy, Dean, and then the piano guy, Steven. Mm-hmm. 
so I don't know. It's weird that it takes that long, and I have to like search for different scenes when you know they've been in multiple scenes already before yeah. I can learn their names. That's weird to me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but yeah, you got Duck over there, and then you have Bernie, who is the friend who uh, is bringing the backup singers in the form of Imelda Quirk, who everyone in the world has a crush on, and then also her friend Natalie, who was previously unseen, but they all come at the yeah. same time, and they are now the backup singers. Yeah, they didn't have to audition well because jimmy is like i know when in school you used to sing in choir and i know you're a good singer but can Mm -hmm. you bring imelda like he doesn't even give a shit if imelda sings good or not they just want her because she's hot right and then bernie is like well i have another friend that actually sings her name is natalie he's like yeah bring her Mm -hmm. and they just automatically become the singers but then we do see that Imelda does sing because she sings a couple songs that are solo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Natalie, I think, is the lead, but they all have their own turns yeah. at, at one point. Um, and I think that's one of the things I like about Jimmy's character is that he is basically all business. You know, like he's he doesn't care about Imelda on a personal relationship level, right? Like, he's he's just there. He's like, I know this will be good business for the band, so you're friends with Imelda still, right? Can you bring her in and have her do, do things? Right. Oh, you know another good singer? Perfect. Let's just bring her in. I don't care anything else. Yeah. I need to know more details other than you think she's a good singer. Bring her on in. Um, and then even later on, when Natalie and, and Jimmy have that brief conversation, like, hey, can you drive me home? And... Jimmy's like, well, I mean, we gotta keep this professional. Like this, you know, like I, I can't take you home. I'm, I'm the, the band the manager. manager. Yeah. This is not the thing. And she's like, well, what if you weren't the manager? He's like, yeah, but I am. So goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like it's not even on his mind. It's not even in his radar. It's like primary focus and only objective is get this band up off the ground, and and get, get the money rolling in. And part of the reason he needs to have that money rolling in is because he borrowed um, against, like, a loan shark type of a guy. Yeah, he's borrowing a lot, like, the event space or just where they practice and then the uh, drums, like, because they don't have all this equipment to start a band, like amps and shit like that. Or even the whole sound system yeah, so yeah he's getting he, this he, he through like other parties and um he owes people money which which sort of comes into play at one it's it's such a weird thing that's the other problem with i have with the movie there's like unresolved issues like that that loan shark guy he clearly still owes that guy money mm-hmm. um he says okay i'll pay you a little bit now but i don't have a whole lot so after our first paying gig i'll give you the rest that yeah. I owe you. And then that ends up not happening. Um, the loan shark guy comes and confronts him at a job, at a gig, while they're playing. Mm-hmm. They get into a fight. Uh, and then, like, their security guy that they also hire, Micah. Yeah, their security guy who, also who becomes, becomes a drummer the later, drummer <laughs> when sees Billy quits. 
the conflict and and like just mid song jumps off the stage and starts beating the shit up of, out of all these people. Yeah, and, and then like I kind of like haven't Micah. seen the last of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like Micah too, but um, but he's like, you haven't seen the last of me. I'll get you, and then like never that that's the end of that storyline. Like he never actually comes into play again ever. Yeah, we don't know. Which is weird. I don't know. <laughs> so, I, there's a, there's things that I don't like about this movie. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's that type of stuff where you have, like, just loose threads that probably are addressed in the novel, mm-hmm. I would hope, but aren't here because we're already looking at, like, a two-hour running time. But part of that two-hour running time is that they spend way too long on individual songs. Especially when we've heard them perform the same songs earlier in the movie. Okay. That's a problem for me. Okay. Like, like, they, are, they are good, competent covers, right? They are yeah. talented. They aren't doing a whole lot to make them their own, which is, you know, they're young kids. You know, like, in the scope of the movie, that makes sense. In the scope of outsider entertainment, if I were to try to market this to somebody, I would want to, you know, maybe switch up the arrangements a little bit more. Like, maybe make yeah, it make a little bit more... Yeah, make their own twist on it. I think yeah, that's what Jimmy that wanted happen. to do eventually. Probably. But I think they he in the beginning, he's like, let's introduce Soul to Dublin, because they're just in Dublin right now. But I wish we would have seen a little bit of that in the movie, where we... You but know, I think that's see what... them start to create their own song, or maybe have the end scene be their own original soul song. Okay, I get it. Yeah, you know, um, instead of because singing... yes, clearly they have to learn the ropes. Clearly, they have to learn the instruments and learn each other before they can create new stuff. Mm-hmm. But if that is the goal, I'd like to see that reflected in the actual story. But it, it just like uh, it, it's just this movie is just like the rise and fall of this band because yeah. it, they don't even get to that point where they can do their own songs I guess yeah it's very flash in the pan yeah um, but I mean if that was the goal I would have liked to at least see the startings of it you know have people get prob- excited about oh yeah I just the wrote goal, this song but then it just the goal never happened and then he's just like oh oh well yeah but it could have been like a good um, final thing and be like, oh, yeah, I wrote this song, but then have tempers flare and be like, oh, you didn't write it. We all wrote it, blah, blah, blah. Okay. You know, that could have happened. That could have been some of the impetus of the info. That's something what well. I thought, because, uh, you know, Outspan and um, Derek. Derek, they had their own songs. Yeah, which, again, they're. they're they're off to the side. They're just they're, like whatever. They're background characters. They could have been like, "Hey guys, I have this song. Can we just do one of those?" Right. Like in the middle. Yeah. But Jimmy's probably like, "No, it's not soul, and that's what we are now." Yeah. And the answer is no. <laughs> but again, like we're inventing scenes that aren't in the movie. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm just you know? thinking like that was something because i mean even jimmy is telling the saxophone guy um like about his haircut or even just the way he even plays sax he's like you're doing it you're doing it too jazzy yeah yeah and we don't want that and that's when joey lips is trying to teach saxophone guy 
Dean. Dean. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people in this band. <laughs> yeah, I just call him saxophone guy. Um, teaching Dean how to play the saxophone, but more soulful, not like, you know, how he probably was taught how to play the sax, which is pretty much like jazzy. And, but or just what I think, he wants to do, that's his yeah, passion. Yeah, that's, he wants to play the sax, but he, he's probably, I mean, even near the end of the movie when he cuts his hair and Jimmy's like, what's your haircut now? That's not soulful yeah, looking. Yeah, that's a jazz haircut. That's a jazz haircut. And Dean is like, whatever. And then he starts to play his sax on stage. Jazzy is what they say. And, you know, Joey can see that and so is Jimmy. But, like, everyone else is just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Jimmy is just like, no, we gotta do this soul for now. Yeah. Or for forever. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, that was the only time he pressed that soul. Like, no, we gotta do soul only. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of um, personalities to manage. And yeah, there's there's a lot of... You've got, like, ten people in this band. So it's just... He's it, trying to manage, like, everyone's quirks, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and throughout the movie you have a bunch of random scenes and tidbits where people are like chiding each other and, and you know like ribbing each other and some of it's playful some of it's not or it starts off playful and it becomes not and then you have the relationship angle which is you know a weird thing to to do i mean it's it's understandable but the way the movie does it is interesting in that joey blips fagan the one who's twice their age is the one who's having relationships with two of the backup singers at least well possibly imelda but probably not <clears throat> Um, yeah, it comes. It, it seems like he's just yeah seducing all three of the women in the band, and he yeah. starts off with Natalie. Starts off with Natalie, who Dean catches uh, them making out, and then later on, there's like a scene where Jimmy or Joey is on top of somebody who is out of view for a long time while he's giving this little speech, and then Bernie pops up from the bottom of the frame, and it's like just you know shut up and let's do it basically yeah um and now they're and then Imelda together. gets a ride from him at some point and everyone assumes but Imelda's in a relationship and basically yeah. engaged with somebody and so she's like no that's not what happened you're like you guys are just like assuming because he did these other people yeah and that's near that's at the end end where they have their f- one performance where they were told that Wilson Pickett was going to come see them and that's how Jimmy is convincing all these journalists and writers mm-hmm. from like local whatever's around town yeah to come see their performance and that's because yeah, Joey said like, yeah Wilson Pickett's going to jam with us yeah and that's what Jimmy's telling all these people but then it's kind of everyone's getting their hopes up everyone's starting to get angry at Jimmy and then like these three women are angry at each other because of this relationship with Joey but it didn't like when Joey was a big diva too and he's yeah like Deco is like all full of himself but the leader of the band but yeah. he kind of should be because he is the best singer I mean he is the star and he knows it 
Yeah, he just gets super full of himself super quickly. Yes. And he's talking about how he's now had offers from other people to do his own right. band. And, and he's like, I'm not getting paid at all, like, whatever, and what the fuck type of thing. Yeah. But then, I thought it was weird. So, they don't, like, all this conflict happens, and then all the girls are fighting with each other all of a sudden. But it's like when... Joey went from Natalie to Bernie. They didn't have... There was no conflict. It Not was like, that we saw, no. It was like Natalie was like, whatever. Yeah. Because I think... I mean, we do... At the very end... But I mean, I think at that point, like, Natalie was... I don't know. I, maybe Natalie was... Again, we don't have enough time to spend yeah, with all yeah, these yeah. people. But, like, Natalie's heart is towards Jimmy. Yeah, she has this crush on Jimmy, but then... So I think that's why like she's kind of Joey okay with it, because she doesn't really care about Joey. That was just, like, yeah. a thing. But Bernie does. Seems like it. Mm-hmm. And that's where, like, sparks fly between the women. Because they were all getting along. The women, at least. Yeah, and then there's like that weird little thing before that where Imelda was supposed to go on a family vacation that was booked before the gig was booked, and so she might have missed the gig, but then she ran off and left her boy her boyfriend, boyfriend and parents and be like, sorry, I'm not going to go on vacation I with wanna you. I want to make this gig, yeah. Uh, and I'm going to play the gig instead. And everyone was like mad at her for like being at the vacation that was pre-planned before they even had a I mean, band. They were also so, kind of mad know. at Bernie because she was not appearing at these rehearsals or yeah because she had to take care of her family she's got like like her mom has like a million kids and she had to help out around she has like three or four younger siblings and you know she has to be like the second mom because her mom's working like three four jobs and it's like she's got to babysit yeah and so she's bringing the one of the children with her the baby to these rehearsals and there's like a whole scene where they're singing and then the baby's like crying in the background. But that doesn't even like phase him really. And then it's there's this whole thing with Deco and the drummer. The with, first drummer, Billy. The first drummer. But yeah. then also the second drummer, <laughs> Micah. Because then they, at the very end, Micah beats the shit out of Deco in an alley. Yeah, I mean. And it's Mike is like the, the protector of everyone else. It's so mainly because of Deco's mouth. Like, Deco says some fucked up shit to these people. Yeah, he's crude and he's crass and he's full of himself and he has a big ego and he thinks he's the only one that matters. So the whole yeah. Group. Um, and so that gets him into trouble a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it does a good job of, like, showing the individual struggles and also the struggles of the band because in the opening gigs as well, where they have, like, the misspelled banners where it's, like, heroin kills and they have to cross off the E at the end of heroin and whatnot. Mm. And, um, you know, they're pushing each other on the stage on accident because they don't know how to, like, deal with each other's stage presence and knocking things over. And then, um, you know, Derek gets electrocuted at one point in that opening sequence. So, like, you know, you see, like, all these different quirks and in, in struggles of like getting the band to work as a cohesive whole that get resolved at the end but then all the internal stuff is what really makes it fall apart um when push comes to shove literally and i think he also does a decent job of showing the different struggles of the individual people like bernie having to deal with family stuff imelda having to deal with family stuff and other people having to work their jobs and 
going to unemployment line. They could have gone a little bit further if they really wanted to, but there's, again, such a massive cast that I think just showing the settings and the cityscapes in which they're they're living, you know, showing the parts of Dublin that they have to go to and play and live in, I think, you know, highlights the struggle of their daily lives to a degree um, well enough. But, yeah, I still really wish that they would have had more, I don't know, it, more more unique songs or any unique songs <laughs> um and also again you, you pretty much hear the entire i don't know at the end it's like four or five entire songs and it just got to be a little bit too much for me mm -hmm. for what you should got, be like a climax which is weird because the soundtrack has 14 songs on it i mean they have little bits and pieces as they go throughout yeah. and like do some whatever but i mean I can't even remember the name of it anymore, but they what, definitely... Mustang Sally. Mustang they Sally, they've done like twice or three times in the movie. They did like Take Me to the River, Chain of Fools, and then they, um, at the end, they did the, um, the best that the, the best song that they did for me was Try a Little Tenderness. Yeah. And then when they did the Wilson Pickett song, the Wait Till the Midnight Hour... Mm -hmm. And I think that's it. What was that, like five, six songs? But, it's, you know, back to back, it, you know, it's like a little mini concert at the end. Right. And it's again, it's mostly not... Mustang Sally. Mustang Sally gets played, like, in its entirety twice. And again, like, you know, Deco is a good singer. Yes. You know, very soulful, even if he is doing, you know, a little bit of an impression of um, Joe, Joe Cocker. Cocker. Yeah. Yeah, I thought of Joe Cocker. Like he's, you know, halfway style. He, he's halfway to a John Belushi parody. But But I think that's just the way that that's how soul makes you move, right? Singer sings because that actor is an actual singer. I think they all are. I think everyone Yeah, they all are because they when they were auditioned, I think they're all auditioned first on their music capabilities and then on their Yeah, cuz they do after this movie, they do form a band, and they do not exactly tour together, but they do sing together. I don't know about Still, but they have done a tour together. Okay. Not, I don't think exactly all ten of these think, people, because I don't even think... some of them got their own bands and things going yeah, on. Yeah, the so. lead singer, Deco, who's Andrew Strong, he, I think he is the biggest of them all, quote-unquote. But, um, yeah. I will agree to disagree. There's someone else. I think there's someone else that you may not be thinking of either. There's someone else in the movie that became bigger, I know. Yeah. It's the sister? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying of the band members, because that sister is in the movie for like five minutes. Yeah, yeah, true. I'm just <laughs> saying of all these people in this band, he was, he be, like in real life, he became a singer and started his own singing career. I think the other people do sing, but I don't know if they actually have they careers have... in it. I don't know. Somewhat. Okay. I didn't write everything down. I focused on the acting stuff, but I know that... Well, I know Glenn Hansard. Yeah, Glenn Hansard, of course. But uh, he... But also Brona Gallagher, who played Bernie, and then also Maria Doyle Kennedy, who played Natalie, also had bands that had multiple albums and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, it's... There's, there's talent there, for sure. 
and, and again, like it, it's a feel-good movie, even though it ends in, I don't want to say tragedy, but it ends in disappointment yeah, for, the, for the people involved. It's um, kind of... It, there like, is that hope and opportunity and like, you know, fun lovingness. It's sort of like Full Monty-ish. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. And But it also... Came, well, the Full Monty, it ends in a good note because they had a goal and they just did it and that yeah. was it. Yeah. But this one is like they had this goal and they were going to be good, but then they all just fought with each other and they were like, fuck it, we're done. And I think part of it but is really that it's, like, it's Jimmy's goal. Yeah, it was his goal, and it, really. And everyone else is just sort of helping him because they, you know... They... And they're like, we can't do this. And mm-hmm. everyone's like in the band saying, we can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. But then he is like, okay with it? Like, I, mean, I would be to... kind of like sad and i mean i know at the he's very end his he's his interview at the end but i mean you know but it's what he's else not he like do? bitter about it no i'd be kind of sad or disappointed i think he's but he's like a realist i'll just move on to the next thing right it's like yeah we could have been amazing but oh well i'll just we'll move on what i'll just move to something else or yeah whatever i mean they're obviously all young enough that they can just pivot to whatever they need to to pivot to and, and right. at the at the end you kind of hear about how some of them have done that um like yeah Valspan and Derek the original two they're now just buskers outside yeah <laughs> on the they street. were back to what they <laughs> so, were doing beforehand was just playing just playing random gigs just yeah. playing for for the the sake of playing in a sense um and then they talk about how like Natalie went on to um not Natalie Bernie went on Bernie, to be in like yeah. a country western band and and uh, Micah went on to be in, like, a punk band. Right. And I mean, everyone started to do their own thing that made Deco them happy. had his own record contract and get a little cameo from the director there. He's, like, working the, the board. Um, but, yeah. No. So, it, it's, it's a good movie. It's a fun movie. I mean, we didn't really talk about the dad a whole lot. He is a decent enough character. And, like, I think it's also interesting to show... The dichotomy of something like Elvis versus the soul that Jimmy is talking about as well, because you know that is what yeah, Dublin probably can, you know, or like just the general world, you know, that they think Elvis is soul, and Jimmy's like, no, he's not soul. He's you know, like there's right. like, like that clash of mentalities and generations. Yeah, that's that was funny to see because his father is obsessed with Elvis. Yeah, and then there's and the, like a scene even has like the sideburns like him and everything. Yeah, he tries to have the hair and the sideburns just like Elvis and there's even like a funny scene where Joey is at Jim or their house the rabbit's house and he's talking to the dad about how he knew Elvis and he tells like a story about Elvis and his dad is like totally enthralled yeah and it's like, <laughs> like such believing a stupidly, every second and he's yeah. like i knew it he's like i knew elvis i knew he didn't take drugs yeah because yeah. he would ask like did you ever see elvis taking drugs and joey just says no i mean i don't know that's like he's naive uh the dad. yeah he's he's saying what he wants he's saying what other people want to hear yeah um i think we've all known people like that in our lives uh, really, you know, embellish stories and just make up stuff just because they yeah. are charming, and you know that's part of their appeal is you know the the BS that's going to come out of their mouth. I don't know. 
anything else we really need to talk about here? Because, I mean, I, I think I've covered, like, most of my gripes. I will say, I again, I did enjoy the movie overall. Well, at the very but end I, I think, where... I the whole time I was thinking, I want to watch Sing Street. Yeah, <laughs> it made me think of other music movies, and mm-hmm. it's funny because the other mu- music movies that I like are Irish music movies, because Sing Street is an Irish mm-hmm. movie, and then also Once. Mm-hmm. Glenn Hansard had a yeah had a role in all of those. Yeah, which is interesting and funny. But it it also made me think of the Full Monty, and then I also thought of Train Spotting. Oh sure, yeah. And then also like Four Weddings and a Funeral, because I think maybe the beginning part reminds me of Four Weddings and a Funeral, just because it's at a wedding. I mean, um, it has a little <laughs> bit of like a dark comedy feel, even though it's mm-hmm. not that dark. I mean. I don't know. It, it, maybe just because it's like down to earth, gritty comedy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Whereas Four Weddings and a Funeral is kind of like a dark comedy. It, it's the lightest dark comedy you can probably come across. Well, like a rom, yeah, yeah. about yeah. <laughs> Mostly comedy, a little dark. At, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the very end, where everyone's mad at Jimmy because. He's promising all these people that Wilson Pickett's gonna arrive, but it's mainly because of what Joey told him. Mm-hmm. Joey's and, like, yeah, I know him. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll convince him to be there. And, you know, by the end of the night, everyone has fought, they're done, the bar closes, and, you know, Jimmy just leaves kind of like with his head down, you know, disappointed or whatever. Just walking home. Walking home, and that's when a limo comes by and it's the Wilson Pickett's driver saying, you know, I have Mr. Pickett in the back seat looking for, you know, the bar that they were playing at. Where is it? And Jimmy's like, it's over there, but the bar's closed now. And they're like, oh. Mm-hmm. And then you see him kind of like try to look in there, but and then that's it. And then he goes into his little interview with himself about where they are now. Yeah, throughout the movie, he's interviewing himself as if he's already famous. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, being interviewed. I, I forget what the name of the show. The The person is Terry, but I know it's like an actual show that he's pretending to be interviewed on. Mm-hmm. But I don't know the name of it because it's not in America. Um, and I'm a geocentric guy. So, the. I, I think that leads to the ambiguity of I Joey. Think- because yeah, like, it's it like could be some... that he actually did know Wilson Pickett, or could it be that he just is such a sweet talker that he's able to convince Wilson Pickett to come and show up? Yeah. You you never know. So, I mean, he, he confront at that point where everything's, like, falling apart. He's he's like, I thought you Yeah, you were told telling me all this it. stuff, and you're just full of shit. Yeah, like, he realizes, yeah, you're just... I think he kind of knew that Joey was always full of shit, but it, like, finally just hit him, like, yeah, he is, and fuck him. And, and Joey's response when, is like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah. Like, he's not admitting anything at yeah, any he's point just, either. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah. But then when Wilson and Wilson Pickett did arrive, he's just like, meh, whatever. Yeah. But the end, everyone goes their separate ways, and probably for the best... That you know that kind of thing just happens, um, but it sounds like that didn't happen in real life. So we'll get into that in, in a minute with the the pop culture section. Um, we can talk a little bit about casting crew and awards. 
we got Sir Alan Parker who directed this, and I think he is a, a great choice. Um, I think, aside from his other nominations, he's done a lot of musical-type stuff, like Fame. He was the director of Fame, and he did Pink Floyd's The Wall. Uh, but he's also been Oscar-nominated for Midnight Express and Mississippi Burning. He also had Golden Globe nominations for those movies, as well as Evita, which came later. Um, at the Cannes Awards... He was nominated for Bugsy Malone in the 70s, one of uh, Jodie Foster's early roles, uh, pre-Taxi Driver. Shoot the Moon, Come See the Paradise, and also Birdie, which won the grand prize of the jury at Cannes. Um, he just recently passed away in 2020. He also, like I said, has a, a brief cameo as the record producer of Egypt Records, uh, where Deco has his you know, hissy fit. He's at the control board. I don't know. Was that trying to be, like, cheeky? What, Egypt, Egypt records? Because it... Okay. The the captions... We watch movies with closed captions. It said idiot records. Yeah, that's... But on IMDb, it's listed as Egypt. E-E-G-I-T. So it's meant to be, like, the slang. You know, like... Yeah, that's... I know you never watch this show, but... In... Supernatural, there's a character that calls the two brothers Egypts. Okay. So uh, Is he Irish? Like, yeah, I think so. Maybe. Okay. okay. <laughs> I think so. There's your answer then. <laughs> uh, is, I can't remember. It was Bobby, but Bobby uses uh, Egypt. You, you, he calls the brothers you Egypts all the time, and it made me think of idiot. Okay. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. You also have a, a brief cameo from Sean Hughes, who plays Dave from Egypt Records as the, uh, the the talent scout that, that Jimmy's talking to for a bit. He's a well-known stand-up comedian. Um, anyway, we have uh, the writers Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. They are a team duo who all have the same credits amongst themselves. Uh, Emmy winners for Tracy Takes On, along with six more nominations. They've done things like Catch Me a Spy, The Prisoner of Zenda, Vice Versa, the body swap movie, Vice Versa, mm -hmm. Excess Baggage, Flushed Away, The Bank Job, and Across the Universe. Tons of variety in their in their portfolio. Roddy Doyle, who wrote the novel as well as partly of the screens uh, the screenplay, also did two more movies based off of books in the same universe, The Snapper and The Van. And Colm Meany is in all three of them, playing the exact same character, even though I think they have different names for some reason in the movies. Yeah, it's... I was going to talk about this later. The reason why they had to change the names was because of the movie, the commitments, like the... Whoever... Is I don't know, the production. Issues? Yeah, the production. Whatever the production company for this movie, the commitments, is like you can't use the same... The rabbit name. Even though Roddy Doyle... His these three books is about the rabbit family. Yeah. So the first book, The Commitments, is about the son, which we watched, and mm. then the second book is about the daughter. Okay. And then the third book is about the father. Got it. But in the movies they had to change the names because of how popular this movie became, I guess. Yeah. Couldn't use the rabbit last name. Which was oh. Dumb. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the Roddy didn't have a choice or something. Whatever. Yeah, stupid legal 
bullshit. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. The Snapper in the Van. He also uh, wrote uh, the screenplays for When Brendan Met Trudy and, and Rosie. Most of the actors in this movie surprisingly did not act a whole lot. Maybe because they wanted to focus on their music careers instead because they obviously had talent in there as well. But boy, I was surprised to see that like Robert Arkin, the, the lead Jimmy Rabbit, was in virtually nothing. Because he's fantastic, as, as most of these people are. Yeah. Uh, he, he did a couple short movies. He did one TV episode of a, a show called Ellington, and he was also in a movie called The Comeback. But that's it. I don't know. It's it's weird. Like Dean Fay, who played, uh, who was played by Felon Gormley, like was in basically nothing. Billy Mooney, the original drummer, Dick Massey, was in like nothing. Deco Cuff, Andrew Strong, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing. Well, uh, yeah, it. it's like they started to. He started his own. Well, not st- he started a band, and but then he became so popular that he toured with other artists okay so i mean yeah he must have just really focused on that and i hope and that's I think, the case for some of these other ones yeah and Stephen i think Clifford also as well, the, the piano player like, michael arn is uh, Aaron is yeah. also in nothing else sorry um but we do have a couple people mostly the women <laughs> angeline ball who played imelda quirk she was in my girl 2 the general shameless uh 20 episodes of the british shameless um, she was an Irish film and TV winner for Bloom and Any Time Now, so both a, a TV show and a movie on the same year. She was also nominated for Acceptable Risk, Deadly Cuts, and Hidden Assets. I think she's the mom in My Girl too. Could be. Beta's I didn't write mom. down the. I didn't write down the the character name. I, I'm looking at it and I think. She played. She played the mom. Interesting. So she goes from like a high school student to like a mom in like within like two years. Well, time. okay. What I said in My Girl Two is My Girl Two is about Veda doing like a project about a hero of hers. So she goes to L.A. to find out more about her mom. Her oh, mom, the flashback. The fla- stuff her So her mom yeah, is okay. like in flashback stuff, not yeah, yeah, yeah. in real life, because obviously, like her mom died when she was born. Yeah. So. Yeah, she played the mom. <laughs> uh, we got Maria Doyle Kennedy as Natalie Murphy. She's been in things like Mole Flanders, The Tudors, Albert Knobs, Orphan Black, and Sing Street. She was in Sing Street. Brona Gallagher played Bernie McLaughlin. They have net last names, but I don't know if we ever heard most of these last names, aside from Imelda Clark uh, is typically okay. mentioned as relaxed. I was just like looking funny. at it. I'm like, let me see, because I am a Mick. It's McLaughlin. <laughs> McLaughlin. McLaughlin. All right. She she was in Pulp Fiction uh, briefly, also in Mary Riley, Divorcing Jack, and also Albert Knobs. We got Glenn Hansard, who played Outspan Foster, Oscar winner for Best Original Song for Falling Slowly in the movie Once, where he was also the star of that. Grammy nominated for Once, and also Grammy winner for Once the Musical, the theater album. He was a frontman of the uh, the band The Frames and also The Swell Season. He also has a Best Folk Album Grammy nomination in 2015 for his solo work. And he also did some musician work in Sing Street. Uh, Joey Lips Fagan is one of the only people in this movie who did not have prior musical experience. Which is weird because he played the trumpet. So did and he, he's also did like he the really oldest. Play it? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see anything. 
Okay. I said otherwise. <laughs> but he's also like one of the oldest, but yet had like the least experience, even though his character had the most. Yeah. Um, he he did some acting as well, though. He, he's been in The Outsider, Into the West, and Angela's Ashes. And then um, we got Cole Meany, who played Mr. Rabbit in this, Colm. and also. I'm sorry? Isn't it Colm? It's probably Colm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Meany. Uh, Golden Globe nomination for The Snapper. Uh, he's also been in Last of the Mohicans, Under Siege, Layer Cake, Hell on Wheels, as well as Star Trek The Next Generation for 52 episodes and Star Trek Deep Space Nine in 173 episodes as Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. Uh, and then the last person I want to mention is Andrea Core, mm-hmm. who is Sharon Rabbit, the sister of Jimmy, daughter of Mr. Mr. Rabbit. <laughs> Mr. Rabbit. Uh, I just think it's funny that their last name was Rabbit. I, yeah, I'm sure that's intentional. It'll be like, you know, they're, they're jumping and, and, you know, spreading. I mean, it is a big family. They have yeah. twins. They have the sister. They have Jimmy. And then there's also another sibling that's kind of like completely out of the picture after mm. like one scene. So maybe that's part of it too. Um, anyway, Andrea Core is part of the band, The Core. She's the lead singer in, in that. Actually, everybody, all the other siblings from The Cores are in this movie somewhere. Yeah, and... But she has I don't, the most prominent part in that she has, like, a couple She lines. had a speaking role where yeah. the uh, her siblings were just probably the people in the crowd in that one, like, one of the first times they were... Um, Not only that, but also... Um, performing. Also, Bernie's band at the end. Uh-huh. The Country Western Band. Yeah. At least one of them appears as the band member Members. in that as well. Okay. So, yeah. The, yes. Um... But part of how they became, I don't know, I, I don't know all the history, but the musical director for this movie, John Hughes, not the same one, um, became the manager of the chorus. So they, yeah. you know, kind of helped, this kind of helped facilitate their career potentially. Mm-hmm. So that's what I got for that. In terms of awards, really quickly here, uh, Oscar nomination for best editing for Jerry Hambling's editing, but they lost to JFK. Golden Globe nomination for Best Picture or Comedy Musical. BAFTA win for Adapted Screenplay, Direction, Editing, and Best Film. So it is a BAFTA winner for the Best Film of the Year. Uh, also nominated for BAFTAs for Best Sound and Best Supporting Actor for Andrew Strong. At the MTV Video Music Awards, the first time we've mentioned that, it was nominated for the Best Video from a Film, but lost to Bohemian Rhapsody for Wayne's World Queen. Mm. I don't know how they really determine that because I don't know. what. <laughs> uh, and then also at the MTV Movie Awards, it was part of the quotes montage. I was trying to think of like what could possibly be. I know I, what assuming... it is and I don't want to say it. Is it the I'm black and I'm proud? Yeah, I'll say it. That is a weird, weird joke. Like I understand where they're going from with that joke. I think it's meant to be cringy. And it is. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Cause... They're trying to associate their struggles with the struggles of this, the, the black soul musicians. Yes, which... No. Yes and no. Yes and, <laughs> yes and, but also no. But also very much no. Yes. Yeah. So, anyway. That's where we're going to end the awards portion. <laughs> and we'll move on to True Crime and Pop Culture, where we're going to talk about the, the actual band, the commitments that kind of came out of this, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I mean... So Roddy Doyle wrote this, and it was 
it called the um the Berrytown trilogy but then it later became the Berrytown pentology because he wrote books after this hmm. so it was um you know the commitments what I said the snapper which is about his daughter apparently his daughter and then they made movies for the snapper in the van like we said mm-hmm. the snapper is about the sister I don't know which sister maybe the cores one <laughs> she becomes pregnant and it's about that story in the family and then the van is about the father who he quits his job or he's laid off or something and then he starts like a fish and chip truck van with a friend is it a mr chippy van probably so maybe that's why they brought that in for the movie where brona was working in i don't know yeah, Mr. Chippy. I don't know if that's the same same one that, that um, Bernie was Bernie working Bruno, on. Yeah. But that's definitely the one that they used to drive yeah. the band around was Mr. Chippy. Yeah, they steal it because it's not really hers. The van. I thought there were two different ones. The van that she was working out of. Yeah, I thought that was separate than the Mr. Chippy van that they took later on. I thought they took it out of storage because she she was like, this isn't my van. It's like the company's van. But they were like, oh, we're going to take it anyways. Because that's the only mode of transportation transportation. for like 12 people to... Billy's bus. Yeah. Since Billy left the van. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so... And then after those... So The Commitments was written in 87. The Snapper was 1990. The Van was 91. Uh, Then he wrote a fourth book in 2013 which is like a sequel to the commitments it's about jimmy rabbit who's back with some of his old friends from the commitments and this time he's like in his 40s he has a wife and kids it's like a sequel and it made me think of like train spotting like how after the movie train spotting became so big it's like as if urban welsh was like okay i gotta write a sequel yeah <laughs> and then and then here comes t2 the other t2 which yeah that that was fine okay so they were gonna make a sequel in the year 2000 but the premise involves several of the members pairing with a new band member before going to tour in the United States and the sequel was never produced so it was canceled. The novel, the 2013 novel inspired a stage production. The stage production, the commitment musical, that it only happened in London. Like it never came over here in the States. Mm -hmm. Following the film's success, so Doyle had turned down the offers to adapt his novel into a stage production, but the commitments began previews in September of 2013 in London's West End, and it opened in October 2013, and it ended in November in 2015. The soundtrack was released the week after, August 13, 1991, and it became like a huge hit, like immediately. And because of that, it's like these people, the commitments, they call them the stars of the commitments, uh, did a tour. And it, it was mostly in, like, in the UK. The soundtrack 
it only became super famous, I guess. I don't want to say popular, I guess that's the word. In like the UK, New Zealand, and Australia. So it, the soundtrack was a success and it was in number one position in the New Zealand album charts as well as the Australian charts. It became five time platinum. Hmm. And then in the UK. But over here in the US, it was it was on the Billboard 200, top 200. Okay. So it, you know, it didn't make all yeah, waves. Yeah, it didn't, didn't make waves. Yeah. I mean, but it was still... Box office-wise, it did okay. It was yeah, in the top 100. In, it was like in the 76. US, yeah. It was, I think it, it just... I guess elsewhere, people were, like, obsessed. And this movie is also just, like, on the top list of being one of the best Irish movies ever made. I mean, I understand, but I also don't I understand. know a whole lot of other Irish movies. So... There's, I mean, you know, there's not tons and tons of, like, crossover mm -hmm. to the U.S., so I don't have a lot of awareness, but I definitely understand. That, that. it's, like, the top movie, the top, I mean, when I think of an Irish movie, I mean, there's a lot of Irish movies, but my favorite one is The Crying Game. Sure. But, um, I mean, that has nothing to do with this. <laughs> But I'm just thinking, yeah, I was thinking maybe this was one of the first movies, because it, out of Ireland, from an Irish director and, you know, writer and everything, that it became famous worldwide. I know there are a ton of Irish movies that came out well before 91, but this was probably, like, the first one to make it, like, worldwide. Yeah, yeah, to that degree, I think, for sure. It has... Most likely. Yeah, okay. So that soundtrack had 14 songs on them. And then after the commercial success of the first soundtrack, they did a, a follow-up called The Commitments Volume 2, which that was released in March of 1992. So I don't even... I don't want to say six, like seven, eight months later. Yeah, they went right in the studio as soon as yeah. they saw any sort of inkling the album included four more songs from the film and then seven additional songs performed by the cast. Is this album it didn't do it was less successful as the previous one, so it reached number six on the Australian album charts and it was number one eighteen on the Billboard two hundred. Which still, I mean it still did bad. okay. Mm -hmm. And then they also, and so then I talked a little bit about Andrew Strong. Mm -hmm. His father was a singing coach and also an Irish musician. So, I mean, he himself became a singer. And then I thought it was interesting that he was 16 years old in the movie. Yeah, because he looks older. <laughs> he acts a little older, but whatever yeah they all i don't know they all seem like they're in their early 20s to me yeah except but they don't i think maybe he was to play someone as the same age as them but in reality he was like a high school student that could be yeah but in after this movie 
he he was only 16. He was nominated for a BAFTA award for best actor in a supporting role. And then he got a nomination for the Grammys for best pop performance by a duo or group with vocals. And since then he has released a number of albums and he's toured with Rolling Stones, Elton John, Prince, Lenny Kravitz, and Brian Adams. (laughs) And then he, he's become enjoy the lips. Yeah, he knows all these people. He he formed a band called the Boneyard Boys in 2003. Okay. Which I've never heard of, but it's more contemporary influences. They said it's not soul. Okay. And he did they did a tour for The Commitments. The Stars of The Commitments did a tour. It was like a tribute tour that was in Dublin in March of 2011. It was like the 20th anniversary. They did a concert for charity and I found clips on YouTube that I will show. Okay. It had it doesn't have everyone in the band, but like Glenn Hansard's not in it. But it did have the um it had all the women the female singers. Mhm him obviously and then i saw just from because it's like someone filming it from afar and i saw the the saxophone guy (laughs) so i was like okay there's at least like five six of them still there and then also that i thought this was interesting wilson pickett was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in 1991 another thing that i found that was interesting okay they made a commemorative stamp. It was an image of... It was the three girls and then Deco singing that was on an Irish posted stamp. And that was part of an Ireland 1996 Irish cinema centenary series. Huh. And it included other Irish scenes from older movies. Yeah. And I found the stamp on eBay. I found the image. I don't know the... I clearly see the commitments, but I don't know the three other movies, and they don't even say on the eBay listing what the other movies were. Okay. But it's eight dollars and eighty-eight cents on eBay if you want to buy these stamps. <laughs> right. And then, okay, something, something else that's not dealing with this movie. So this movie was released August seventh, nineteen ninety-one, and it was. On a Wednesday, it was two days before the premiere of Delirious. And on this day, there was a world record. This was during the... We may or may have not have talked. I remember talking about some sort of athletic championship, but I can't remember anymore. We talked about the Pan American Games. Okay, that's what it was. Okay, this is the 1991 World Championships in Athletic, the International Association of Le- Athletics Federation that was going on in Tokyo and the American team they had Carl Lewis, Mike Marsh, Leroy Burrell and Dennis Mitchell they set a four-time 100 relay world record for 37.67 seconds and that's where Carl Lewis won a bunch of medals and then I found some clips on eBay on not eBay, YouTube. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I found some clips on YouTube of the race. So we can move on to rankings and ratings then. Uh, where on your one to five star scale are you going to put the commitments? 
Man, I'm gonna give this movie a three. Yeah, I'm about the same spot. I, um, on my zero to four star scale, I think I'm gonna give it a three as well. Like I have gripes with it, but again, overall, I did find it to be charming, interesting. You know, occasionally funny. You know well made I think it just for two hours to have that I understand that the music's supposed to be the focus but to spend that much time on the songs I kind of want like a little bit more plot in between I don't know anyway so three out of four for me every movie's worth watching once would you watch this again um yeah but not right away yeah same I'd have to really be in a specific mood for it I mean if I'm going to be watching a another music-based movie I think we already talked about like once and and Sing Street Sing Street are going to be my go-tos um, but it, it could find its way into the rotation just not heavy rotation if there was like um, a trilogy of this once and Sing Street I'll watch all three <laughs> if someone was like showcasing all of them yeah that'd be a long night yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if you out there want to watch The Commitments as of this recording in January 2023, it's available on Hoopla, digital rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. You can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, our international travels will take us to the double life of Veronique. That's available on Criterion Channel, Canopy, Digital Rental, VHS, DVD. We'll see you then. Thanks. <laughs>